Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. We are saying as long as there is breath in our bodies, we will not forget you. If we don't deal with this issue now, the problem will get bigger. The lack of empathy. These women need to get over themselves. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Good morning, Fiona Corcoran in for PJ Coogan on this horrible Thursday morning. If you haven't got out of bed yet, I think you should just stay there for the day if possible. It is absolutely miserable outside. Sorry to be the bearer of bad news. And even further bad news, uh, there's a a yellow rainfall warning from midday today. um, And that's going to last into tomorrow as well. But the good news is I think Sunday there's meant to be some uh, better weather ahead. So if we are planning any outdoor activities for the weekend. Maybe Sunday is the day to do that. Also good news this morning. You may have heard it in the news there with Victoria that tickets for Independence 2022 go on sale on Saturday the October 16th. That's just been confirmed this morning. Um, Independence will be in Mitchellstown over the August Bank holiday weekend next year. Um, the early bird tickets are valued at €139 Euro and the other tickets are 149 or 159 So that's good news for people who are planning on going to festivals and I think it is great to hear that we have music events and festivals and concerts coming back and hopefully we'll all get to go to something over the next while. Now, um, on another topic, um, it, it was raised last night on social media and I know a lot of the newspapers have picked up on it today and it's the situation with regards to the food bank at UCC. Now the food bank was set up to help students who are struggling to to feed themselves and, and to afford a dinner and it reopened yesterday and it 
ran out of food within the space of 50 minutes. Quiva Walsh is the UCC Students' Union Welfare Officer. Quiva, within 50 minutes, the food bank ran out. How many students got a dinner by in that space of 50 minutes? So we had over 100 students uh, come to the food bank yesterday and then we had to turn away people after we went and restocked it, um, which was obviously so upsetting for us, um, having to turn people away to get, from getting food. And Quiva, you're the welfare officer. It, like, have you been talking to these students? Like, what is the issue? Is it that they are coming up against fees at this time of the year, and also the high rents? Like, why is there such a demand for the food bank? Yeah. So the majority of students that I spoke with yesterday were saying that once they've paid off their accommodation, they actually don't have much money left for like the month. Um, which means obviously they can't afford things like food or just like some like basic hygiene products. So that's why we set up the food bank um, to make sure that everyone was like fed and like had just like essential things that they'd need. But we um, we were shocked when it was uh, so busy and we ran out of food so quick. And um, with the food bank, where do you get the stuff from for the food bank? Is it donated by businesses? Um, yeah, so Cork Penny Dinners, um, Katrina from Cork Penny Dinners called up yesterday and dropped off loads of food to us. And then we had students um, coming in and dropping in food and staff members and um, local businesses as well. And what kind of food are you giving out? Is it hot dinners or is it non-perishable items? Uh, it's non-perishable items. So like pastas and rice and sauces and stuff like that. And, and we also had the hygiene bank. Okay, and did you have the food bank last year and was there such a high demand for it? So they had the food bank back in 2019 and um, from what I've been told, there was nowhere near this amount of students that used to come to it. Um, And last year, because of COVID, instead they were just giving out um, uh, vouchers for shops, Hmm. but they also weren't getting as many students. And I see in the Echo today that um, Cork South Central TD Donica O'Leara, who's the uh, health spokesperson for Sinn Féin, is calling for uh, things like the Student Assistance Fund needs to be increased and that ex- Susie needs to be expanded to more families. Is that something yeah. that you would back? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, the threshold for Susie isn't good enough. I think, you know, like it's the students that get caught in the middle when they're just they just miss it. Like, I find that, like, that's one of the biggest issues, like the students who would just miss um, the cutoff for Susie mm-hmm. so that they don't get a grant and they're just kind of in the middle and then they're struggling for money and, like, you know, like, they can work a part-time job but, like, that's also just not going to pay your accommodation and it's not going to pay your college fees either. I was going to ask you that. What is the situation with regards to work? Do a lot of these students have part-time jobs or is there... Yeah. They do have the jobs as well? Yeah, a lot of the students do, yeah. They uh, work on the weekends or they try work during the week and but I mean like they're not making enough to like survive you know I mean like it's like the cost of living is just so expensive at the moment that it's really really hard to gather up that much money you know and it's also like difficult for people to be asking their parents for money too. Yeah I suppose a lot of families there might be a couple of kids yeah. who are in college and the parents might not have it. Um, yeah. And Quiva, like obviously there are some really genuine cases out there, but what would you say to people who argue that a lot of students have money for drink and that they may be getting food from the food bank so that they have enough money for their night out on the Thursday night? Yeah, you know, um, yeah, I've read a lot of comments about that now, mm. you know, since we've come out about the food um, bank running out. But in my opinion, you know, you, you can't paint all students with the same brush. Like a lot of people come from a lot of different backgrounds. Um you know, like it's just it's tough. It um a lot of the students who go out, you know, like they might like 
do you know like students are entitled to go out and like have their phone as well but mm. I think that a lot of the students that came here yesterday definitely aren't the students that are going out and partying and is the and food bank if, open every day so it's supposed to be Wednesdays from five to seven but because we ran out yesterday and we're just waiting for some to for the donations to come in um they can come in from 10 o'clock this morning and then I can just meet the students that missed out yesterday so are you planning on keeping it as a weekly food bank or would you see if a time where you might have to increase it to twice a week? Um, yeah, I think we might have to just try and move it to maybe an appointment basis or something like that um, because there was just so many people yesterday just to, just so we can guarantee that everybody gets some food. And if people do want to support the food bank, how do they do that? Yes, yeah, so we've actually, uh, we made a GoFundMe last night. It's on our Twitter and our Instagram pages. And then also um, you can drop food into our offices um, on College Road. Um, we just take, it's just non-perishable foods and hygiene products. And the, the food bank, um, the, the GoFundMe, the goal was €5,000 and it's it's now 5485 I think, was it, at 9 o'clock? Yeah, I don't, I don't even know. It's up know. to 6000 now, they're telling yeah, me it's going to 6000 Yeah, we just know we're, we're like, we're so grateful um, for all the support we're getting. Can you just stay on the line there for a few minutes? Because I'm joined as well by Katrina Toomey from Cork Penny Dinners. Good morning, oh, Katrina. Perfect. Morning. Katrina, um, we're listening to Quiva there and she's saying that over 100 students turned up for the food bank yesterday. Yeah. You reported similar numbers um, a couple of weeks ago of students coming to Cork Penny Dinners for food. Yes, we did. And I think that um, yesterday uh, it just came, kind of came came out and UCC are addressing it. Quiva's doing an amazing job up there and she's got her team around her. And we saw all that. I've been talking to Quiva for a couple of weeks and she's very focused and more than capable and um, has kind of stuff under control. I just don't think anybody would have been prepared for it. We're kind of used to it in penny dinners. Mm. But when it did happen with the large numbers yesterday, look, they've regrouped and you can hear that Creva has more plans now in place. So I think for that, like UCC have to be commended because they're rallying around and they will kind of rally around each other. But this is, Creva has highlighted the, the high cost of rents. You know, people are kind of sharing places that are only made for one person you know they're doing everything mm. and anything to keep themselves in college and they are working but you know sometimes college students are in college all day and don't finish until late in the evening five six o'clock so then they have to study and get their work ready for the following day so those that are working are trying to get the jobs that they can fit the hours in the round and that's going towards paying their rent so um you know, we just have to look at what the problems are there. And again, they might need, you know, as we've pointed out, the Susie Grant like to more students, the assistance grant needs to be increased, stuff like that. We need to look at the high cost of rent for them because they're there trying to make a future for themselves and trying to do better. And again, we must remember that not all families have the same income in the house when they have a son or a daughter going to college. So it, it stretches, you know, it, it can stretch a family way beyond its limits as well and the parents will do that like they'll sacrifice things for to get their son or daughter through college but the students don't want to be going back home saying I am do you know to eat and and because they know that their families are already strapped so Mm. it's a catch-22 for a lot of the students they are trying they're trying to help each other they're coming together you know with with 
everybody in UCC now, like the whole team, will probably just grow and get this down to a fine art because they're, they're good at that. And I think another thing we have to look at, it's possibly not unique to, to UCC, you know, yeah. students are students all over the country and maybe this is something that needs to be done because there's over 30,000 students in our city alone and that's a huge number of students and if some of them are hungry, they're hungry, we must look at it and it must be addressed. Katrina, and this is a question for you as well, Quiva. Um, do students need to learn how to budget more? Because we've just got a call here from Mary and she says, I'm a bit annoyed by this as the students are spending their money in the wrong place, not towards food. They want it all right now, but sacrifice has to be made for education. They will have to learn to budget. If we keep helping, they will keep asking for more. I know it's not every student, but there's a lot taking what they don't need. Katrina, what do you think well, of that? Well, Mary just said it. She knows it's not every student. It, it isn't. And they're the ones we're helping. So that kind of answers that for her. They're, they're coming looking for food, nothing else. And it's not because they're not budgeting right. They may not have the money to budget with. So, again, as I said, they, she answered that question herself. It's not mm. every student. And it isn't. And these are the ones we're trying to help because these are the ones that are hungry. And Quiva, what about yourself, like over in, in college? Do you think that students should be taught how to budget their money better? I mean, like, I completely agree with what Katrina's saying there. Like, you know, like, not all students are the same. Um, like, not everyone is going to have some money. And, like, I know people can come out and say that students should be budgeting, but, I mean, how can you budget when your accommodation is so expensive that you're literally left with only a couple of euro at the end of the month? Like, how can you, how can you even save that, you know? Yeah. I know, Katrina, have you ever seen, like, obviously you've been with Penny Dinners a long time now. Have you ever seen such a demand from students in particular for food? No, we've always had a demand, but not as big as what it is now. And that's probably a sign of the times that we're living in as well. And, you know, people have to be compassionate around the, the students that are coming forward saying that they need this help right now. And that's something that we must we must look at, you know, so the numbers have increased, they've grown and the powers that be have to be looking in and, and trying to help these students, trying to keep them in the college where they want to be, where they want to further their education and hopefully get good jobs. Like, you know, mm. college life isn't for everybody. We have people in apprenticeships, we have people that work in all all different sorts of, you know, um, stuff in, in Cork, like in the country. But those that want to go to college they should be helped to go, the government say, like, go to college, get a degree, get a better job, you know, get this, get that. And this is what some of them are trying to do. And we must remember as well that years ago, it would have been off limits for a huge amount of families. Mm-hmm. It isn't now. And we must help those that are in that bracket, you know. And, and yeah. we must also remember that people that would have had money once upon a time may not have it now. As well, things have kind of crashed down around a lot of people for different reasons. Mm -hmm. And we see that as well in the normal run of penny dinners. So the students can't purchase what they don't have. Families can't purchase what they don't have. Individuals can't purchase what they don't have. Those they don't have, we have to look at. And and we mustn't say, teach them this and they'll be all right. Teach them that and they'll be all right. They're not all right. They need the help. No. And they'll get on their feet. And in return, like we have a lot of students that volunteer penny dinners and they come down and they'll throw in a few hours, like, you know, and they give, they give what they can and they give of their time. And, um, we would always say, like, say, like, 
when they when they come to volunteer, sit down and have a cup of tea first, like have something mm-hmm. to eat, because you'd hate anybody coming in having to work on an empty stomach, yeah. you know. And that's that's just not being heartless. Like that's just somebody with a bit of compassion would say, look, you know, I made such and such a thing for mm-hmm. someone there, you know, and one of the more experienced volunteers and said, when you know a person is coming into volunteer and they're hungry. You give them food, right? And then they can volunteer because having them work on an empty stomach isn't right. And we see that as well. We see lots of different things that people don't see. And we also have to separate the issue of the students that are going out um, on their their night out and doing. They're not the students that are coming forward, as Quiva has said. Yeah. It's, you know, and there are different issues altogether and not something for Quiva to be addressing and something for for us at Penny Dinners to be addressing a, a certain whether we agree with it or whether we don't agree with it but what we must do is feed the ones that are hungry Indeed Katrina Toomey from Corpenny Dinners thanks very much and also to Quiva Wall CC Students Welfare Officer thanks very much for joining us this morning what do you think 1850 715 996 0833 96 96 96 Can we just talk The Opinion Line on Cork's 96 FM With McCarthy Insurance Group Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance cmig.ie All the stars on one show this is Dear Lipa. Hi, this is Tiesto. Oi, this is Shane Conn. Hey, this is Anne-Marie. Hey, it's me, Justin Bieber. This is Joe Corey. I go by the name of The Weeknd. The Hit Mix with Shane Bucks on your radio. Weeknights from 8. With Newmarket Motors Volkswagen. Test drive the all-electric ID4 at Newmarket Motors. Or visit newmarketvolkswagen.ie for more. Cork's 96 FM. From food shortages to housing shortages in our city. Good morning, Sarah. Hey, uh, Sarah, just tell me a little bit about your living situation at the minute. My living situation, basically, I'm living at home with my parents and my two brothers and I have a 16-month-old daughter and we're only in a three-bedroom house. Mm-hmm. So, basically, I'm only in a box room with my little girl and all that's in the box room is just her cot, my bed and a telly. Our clothes are kept upstairs in an attic storage room. Yeah. There is nowhere for us to go, you know, there's no privacy or anything. And obviously with a baby comes an awful lot of stuff that you need. So where are you storing all of the baby stuff? Up in the storage in the attic. Just have to keep them up there. Our clothes are in storage boxes up there. Just have to run up and grab them and come back down to her. And obviously that's very stressful for yourself. You're a new mom. You've got a 16 month old baby. You've got no space. Yeah, and especially now I'm on maternity leave now at the moment, so I'm due to go back in December and I'm actually going to be working from home. So I'm going to have to try and go back part-time. I can't even go back full-time because I have to go back part-time while she's in creche to try and, you know, so the house is a bit quiet. So I have to cut down my hours now for work. And Sarah, um, you are on choice-based letting, is that right? Yeah, I'm on that the past eight months, but I've been ringing up about it and they told me that it doesn't matter my situation, that there's an eight to ten year waiting list. Eight to ten year waiting list? Yeah. And so... If I'm lucky, it'd be five. And why is that? Why why are they saying about your situation? Is that because you're not considered homeless because you are living with your parents? Yeah, exactly. That They consider that I have a roof over my head, basically you know that I'm not out in the streets or anything but at the same time I might as well be if I'm stuck in one room you know crammed to the last in there. Mm. 
And you've been looking on Daft, I'm assuming, daft.ie for houses. Yeah, I have been. I've been applying nearly every day for houses. I'm even gone out of my area, you know, nearly a 40 minute to an hour drive out of my area trying to find somewhere. But they keep all I get as far as the virtual viewing. And then after that, there's nothing after that. And then they're looking for previous landlord references. But how can I have one if I'm living with my parents all my life? It's like going for a job, trying to, you need a job, but you need to have previous experience if it's your first job. Yeah. It's the same thing as going for a house. And I mean, do you know, like we, we spoke last week to Anne on the show and she was in a hotel with her baby. And a couple of weeks ago, we spoke to another girl, Emma, who was working and her partner was working and they just couldn't find anywhere. Now, I think that both of those people have since found somewhere. Is it just a case, do you think, of having to keep persisting with it and to keep looking? But, do you know, trying to keep your spirits up when you're doing that must be really, really difficult. Yeah, like I'm on it. I'm on Daft every single morning and I go on it at night time because they upload at night time as well. And I just apply for everywhere, you know, and I'm entitled to HAP now as well. So it's even harder. Like I try and find somewhere, you know, we're just crammed to the last now at home. Yeah. And I mean, you know, when you have a baby, like you want to have your own space at times as well. Like you need to just be able to go and put your head down somewhere or just like, you know, yeah. just go off by yourself just for a few minutes just to gather your thoughts. You're obviously not really able to do that at the minute. No, she's just glued to my hip now, you know, trying mm. anywhere I go. She's just, you know, next to me because there's nowhere to actually go. Yeah. And you, like, I think you were telling us or when you contacted us that you're just driving in, around in your car a lot of the time, are you? Yeah, I'm out and try to spend most time out of the house because if I'm in the house, we're all, you know, together and, you can't even move, like, so I might as well just be out and around. Mm. Are you worried for your daughter? I mean, I know she's only 16 months old now, but, you know, when, when she gets older and she's walking and she's talking and, you know, <laughs> like, um, are you concerned maybe about the impact that this is going to have on her? Yeah, I am, because, like, if we did get it at our own place and it would be further down the line, how if she's so used to being with me, being attached to me how is she meant to go into her own bedroom do you know yeah. things like that do you know and then she'd be starting in preschool by the time I even get somewhere nearly so mm. she's going trying to get her into a routine starting from the start again with her do you know it's going to be hard it's going to impact her majorly like yeah I mean look I mean I'm a mother myself I know that you know you would be so concerned for your children's future and you know you're you are amazing because you just sound so positive but um, I know that it must be a really really stressful situation so if there is anyone out there that can help maybe some advice maybe you know somewhere that Sarah might be able to go let us know 1850 715 us earlier and telling us about her living situation. She's living at home in her parents' house with her 16-month-old daughter has no space. It's a very stressful situation. Michael on Twitter says, this is so stressful for people and yet the City Council has over 240 empty houses and it takes them on average 12 months to get an empty house ready for occupancy. Keep your comments coming in to us 185796 Now, Zoe, you had um, a very very frightening situation on Monday or no, Tuesday evening was it? Good morning Yeah, yeah Tuesday evening Tell us what happened um, I was driving in the car with my friend, we were out looking for her little sister and he was, she was just out with her friends but her phone was dead so we couldn't find her mm-hmm. and we were driving along and we were stopped in traffic lights 
and my friend was looking to see was her sister there. There was a group of people and after just when we drove off they the boys got aggressive and started putting ketchup on the car. There, there wasn't much you know and then we went into Little. Where was this sorry was this? In Toker. In Toker okay. Yeah and we went into the to the little car park was it? The little car park yeah and then they followed us over they ran through the grass mm. and we went up behind little but every time we tried coming down they were like there was three exits out and there was always like one or two of them at the end you know mm. like of each exit or them all like it was all kind of different each time we came down and then we drove down because I was afraid to come down like in case they had rocks I didn't know what they had to throw at the car because what group of boys would be carrying around ketchup? Yeah. So we came down and they just squirted the whole ketchup at the car and threw the ketchup bottle and we heard another like thing as well but I didn't know what that was. Mm -hmm. And then we drove into a little car park and we tried to get a picture of them to give to the guards. Yeah. But we couldn't. It, It was only blurry like and the boy got it was only one boy that done the ketchup and kicked in the car. He'd done about two or three kicks. Sorry, he kicked the in the car? Yeah. When we drove over to try to get the picture of him, he started kicking in the car. And did he do any damage to the car? Yeah, there's a big huge dent inside of it. And so we, this was just a random attack. You didn't know anything about... No, I never heard around there. I don't know anyone out there. And it must we have been very terrified. frightening for you to be in a car, minding your own business, stopped at traffic lights, and the next thing then you get attacked like this. Yeah, we were so scared. We were shaking. Yeah. We didn't know what to do, like. And then once they started kicking in the car, like, I was like the ketchup, you know, fair enough. Yeah. I was just ignoring it, really. Well, not ignoring it, but like, I was like, once I get out, I don't care. But once they started in the, kicking in the car I, we were shaking like my friend was like get, in case they came in on top of her well yeah. that one boy the rest of the boys they were only shouting stuff but and has this left yeah. you afraid now when you're out in the car because yeah. you know you were obviously with your friend by myself yeah I was just going to ask you that no, like if you were out in the car by yourself would you be afraid now yeah I wouldn't go in it by my own I'm terrified she's as well like yeah and even walking around now, would you be afraid going into town, walking around on your own? Yeah, because, like, I was in a car then. Like, what could happen if I was out, mm. do you know? Yeah. Like, I thought I'd be safe in my car. And it was at about half nine, ten o'clock. I was, like, I don't know. And, like, I you wasn't were, expecting it at all. Had you ever be, been afraid before that incident? No. I wouldn't care. Yeah. But now I'm actually left terrified. And have you been out in the car since? No. No. I can't. I'm actually... I'm scared. Yeah. And what about the the damage done to your car then? I know, like, the ketchup is easy to clean off, but the dent that you were talking about in the car, like, do you have to pay for that now yourself? Will you be able to afford it? Um, I don't know, to be honest. Yeah. Unless that buys car or whatever. Um, and like I'm assuming that you you contacted the guardian and that there is an investigation but just you know for yourself yeah, now going to guess CCTV. 
okay. on him from little right on for the boy like and for yourself then just I'm just thinking like you're a young woman um, you're afraid now to go out in your own car um, and obviously this was just a random attack like would you consider doing something like self-defence classes or anything like that? Yeah, yeah I would definitely I'd love something like that Yeah Do you just think it's something out, like something like that do you know just to get out and like because what if they got into the car like anything yeah. Do you think it's like, something that all that all young people and all young women in particular should be doing that we should all be doing self-defence classes yeah I do because you don't know what could happen like that could have been I don't know if it wasn't me like who could it be like an elderly person or anyone yeah like they're terrifying Okay, so listen, thank you so much for coming on air and telling your story. I know that um, it's not easy and that that was a very frightening situation. And, um, you know, as she said, it was a random attack. Um, do you know, what What do you think? Like, what's the city coming to? I mean, we hear so much of different incidents, but like if for somebody driving in their car, they're just stopped at traffic lights and they are subjected to an attack like that. I mean, it is just frightening. Do you think as well that like all young people in particular or anybody should be doing self-defence classes let us know 1850 715 996 0833 96 96 96 Can we just talk the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie Let's get down, let's get down to business. We're back to the music. The Cork's 96FM music panel gives you the power to pick our playlist. Click 96FM.ie now. 96FM.ie now. Just like this. Take the 10-minute survey and you could win a 100 euro Just Eat voucher. The power to pick what we play. Pick what we play. Let's get down, let's get down to business. Join the Quark's 96FM music panel. Find the link on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Or see 96FM.ie. A lot of you have been in touch with regards to the UCC Food Bank and students who are in need of food. Maria has been in touch to say there should be a way for the students to prove that he or she really needs to access the food. It should not be given to all students that come the day the food bank is open. If not, they will all go to get the free food. Somebody else, Joe, has been in touch to say, I do collections for back to school and all I hear too is what about the parents? It does not help the kids and no one really knows about the circumstances of people or what they have to deal with. Kate says, go out any Thursday night and see all the students out there. Another caller has been in touch to say, I am a delivery driver for takeaways. The majority I deliver to every single night is students. How are they affording constant takeaways? Why can't they get part-time jobs? Well, Quiva Walsh did say a lot of them do have part-time jobs, caller but that by the time they pay for the rent and the bills they have no money left um, he goes on to say here we hear places now crying out for staff in hospitality etc I can't agree with the two you have had there um, and that too is Quiva who was the Students Union Welfare Officer and Katrina Toomey from uh, Cork Penny Dinners another person has been in touch to say my son just finished college away from Cork he worked on weekends and still had no money it was over the price of accommodation I put it down to greedy landlords they charged him to fix things that went wrong in-house like shower and not working lights 
uh, and lights that were not working. Anne has also been in touch to say perhaps they don't have money for takeaway sandwiches, etc., which are very expensive. However, in a shop, a five pack of large rolls is two euro. Eggs around three euro. A bag of porridge the same. The rolls could be frozen and shared among two or three. That's breakfast and a few days sandwiches, omelets, etc. Sorted. That's good, basic, solid nutrition. And I suppose that comes back to a comment that we had earlier about teaching students how to budget their money properly and to maybe, you know, stretch out their meals a little bit like that. So thank you very much. Keep your comments coming in. Uh, 1850-715-996-083-396-9696. Yesterday we were speaking about mental health and... um, in particular about young people and how they deal with mental health issues and we got a comment from a listener who said people are a lot more aware of it now partly down to celebrities telling their story what more can we do? Well everything needs finance so we support and encourage the government to do that but I really think there are things that could be integrated into the education system. I know they do yoga and stuff and a bit of topic highlights but I mean questioning your behaviour and learning coping skills and insights into your own condition. You won't prevent or cure the problem because you never will but we can prevent it becoming a big problem because often that's the only time people realise they have an issue in their teens or 20s or 30s and joining me now um, to address that comment is um, spunout.ie director Kiki Martar good morning Kiki good morning thanks for having me and thanks for joining us on the show this morning Kiki Um, what's your reaction first of all to that comment that we had from a listener um, I really enjoyed reading it because I think it's it's sort of exactly the sorts of comments that we are, you know, we agree with and we're like a, sort of trying to respond to in our campaign that we're running this week. This Sunday is World Mental Health Day on October 10th. And on Wednesday this week, yesterday, we we launched uh, what we're calling our Open Minds campaign, asking all young people to keep an open mind when it comes to understanding mental health. Um, and, you know, the good news is that mental health is on our minds, you know, and, and, and our, you know, on our tongues a lot more than it used to be, certainly. People are talking about mental health, and they seem to have a basic grasp of, you know, what it is, um, and that, you know, it's, it's just like your physical health, and we all have it, and that's amazing. But we're asking people to dive a little bit deeper and just really take it upon themselves, each of us individuals to learn more about some some of the nuances when it comes to mental health because people kind of think they you know they have it all figured out now and we understand it and we hear more about it but it is a lot more than just the yoga or just maybe you know understanding certain certain terms um and or you know being aware of how it's affecting you personally there's a lot that goes into it and a lot more that we can um, aim to understand with regards to young people, now I know that we can't generalise things, but um, you know, do they have a, a, a grasp of different mental health conditions and symptoms? Um, you know, we hear words like anxiety, depression, disordered eating, but do they have a full grasp of what these things are? It definitely depends. Uh, We ran a survey recently amongst 1,400 young people asking those sorts of questions. And we found that one in three of people that we surveyed felt they they could not recognize signs and symptoms of common mental health conditions like anxiety, depression, or or disordered eating. Um, And we we also found that about 94% were were using mental health language or terms um, in sort of incorrect or insensitive, uh, you know, jokingly used in everyday conversations, which of course, we know to be true, you know, we all hear, you know, that's mad, that's psycho, that's insane all mm. the time. You know, it's very much, um, you know, around and in our culture. So um, it, 
people have heard about mental health and, you know, we all kind of think we have a firm grasp of mental health, but, you know, even myself, I learn new things every day. It's such a wide topic. Um, and it's, it really encapsulates at all different types of people's experiences. So there really isn't like a final point that we get to where we're done learning and, you know, we figured it all out. So it really is asking people to go back and take it upon themselves to learn a bit more for themselves to understand their own experiences better and be like, oh, you know, I thought I understood the symptoms of anxiety, but actually I've been having, you know, those five symptoms for the Mm. last few years and I didn't know that's what it was tied to. Or, oh, you know, I've been using that term around my friends and I, you know, I thought that was just normal, but actually maybe it was a bit insensitive and I didn't understand the full context. It's, it's no shame to anyone because we're all in the same boat in a different way. It's, it's absolutely not trying to call people out. It's just saying, Hey, can we take a step back? Maybe we think we have this mental health thing down, but can we keep an open mind and, and go back to basics a bit and, and learn a bit more? Cause it is quite a nuanced, comp- complex topic. The, the comment that our listeners sent in had said that a lot of young people in particular learn about these issues from um, celebrities and I know that a lot of young people, you know, they, they are on social media all the time and there's various different posts about mental health disorders and depression and, and you know, disordered eating. Is this the right place for them to be learning um, or, you know, is it, is it good? Is it opening up a conversation? I I am glad for, you know, any kind of route where people are sharing their stories and talking about what mental health means to them and what ex- what experiences they've gone through. And I'm certainly glad that, you know, it's spreading awareness. Um, but of course, you know, as you know, Spun Out is Ireland's youth information website, and we are, you know, putting out factual information for young people's health. So of course, we care deeply about combating misinformation online. And that is, you know, our whole our whole ethos. So we wouldn't be doing that if we thought that yes, of course, there is, you know, there are risks and dangers uh, that come out with just learning primarily about your health online, or especially through celebrities or social media, because they're only sharing their one particular viewpoint, or they haven't necessarily talked to experts or done the research. Uh, we have partnered with mental health experts in Ireland, and you know our, our information is, is trustworthy. So it's also going to knowing what sources and what right sources to go to to get information that you can trust so that you can understand a bit more. I think it, it's really easy to see a few posts online and again, I do it myself. You know, a news story comes out. You see if you post online, you're like, oh, yeah, I have a firm grasp of that. Like, mm, have you really? Have you yeah. have you read the research? Have you have you gone to the right sources? Um, and so I think it'd be really easy for young people to be like, oh, you know, I've I've heard about mental health here and there. I got it. You know, if I'm really in a bad in a bad way, I'll talk to someone. But they might not even be recognizing, you know, what that bad way would look like or, you know, understand different conditions that are out there. So, you know, we're really trying to spread some useful messages to people that mental health is a spectrum. It's not just, you know, oh, it's good or it's bad. It will change your whole life. It's it's influenced by, you know, things like trauma and any sort of social issues that you're dealing with or, or maltreatment from others. Um, you know, mental health conditions aren't the same as uh, milder mental health difficulties or conditions and illnesses are, are different to just your mental health or your mental wellness in general. There's a lot of sort of more nuanced points that uh, we're trying to spread the word on. And uh, Kiki, yesterday we also got another um, caller who contacted the show and I, I think she's going to be coming on later on in the show who was talking about, um, you know, uh, being, being mental health being taught in schools and in particular in preschools. And she was saying that, um, you know, that they have some programs now in, in some schools where they teach young people about their feelings and identifying, you know, their emotions and, and putting a name on them, even if it's like, you know, angry, sad. You know, how important mm. is all of that kind of stuff? to be brought into schools? I would be a massive proponent for more 
mental health education from as young as possible, you know, throughout mm-hmm. our whole lives. And also not just stopping again, like not just stopping and assuming we have it all down, you know, past primary or secondary. Um, lifelong mental health education is extremely important. Being able to understand our feelings and being able to communicate healthily is probably just the building block, building blocks of, you know, a better, a better, safer, happier communities. You know, I think it's probably one of the most important things that we can do. And certainly um, the younger that we start and normalizing that for, for young people and very young people, um, I can only see, I can only see positives. You know, what they're doing there is sort of the basics, building blocks of CBT of, you know, understanding your thoughts, your feelings, your actions. Um, having young people understand that from an earlier age uh, I can see being really a game changer for Ireland. You mentioned there at the start that October the 10th is World Mental Health Day and um, do you know I suppose people there, there's there's going to be a big focus on, on mental health in and around that day. Um, you guys at Spun Out have um, your own campaign that you're launching, is that right? Yeah, we launched our campaign a bit early. We were very excited for World Mental Health Day. So we launched it yesterday and we're running it for the, over the next two weeks um, because we hope to kind of keep the conversation around mental health going before and well after World Mental Health Day. But it is Sunday um, and we're encouraging everyone to visit our, our website, spinout.ie, and also our, our social uh, media channels because um, we're going to be posting about kind of some of the topics that I've talked about, but, you know, more in depth um, all week long. Um, and there's lots of resources and articles mm-hmm. to read. Um, and, you know, the biggest thing is, is sharing young people's stories. We've had a lot of young people come out and say, this is what it's like for me to have lived with, you know, something like PTSD, or this is how I kind of understood more that mental health is this kind of larger spectrum and complete picture. Um, Because sharing how how we're going on these learning journeys with each other can really be eye-opening for us. It can really help us start our own sort of learning journey or dive Mm -hmm. deeper in how we're feeling. So it's not all just about, you know, the cold, hard facts, which are very important for people to read and understand, but to just start conversations with each other and talk about how how it feels for for each of us to kind of go through this this own journey with our personal mental health. Um, And of course, we know this isn't, you know, this is certainly not an easy conversation for, you know, for most people. So uh, to encourage any Anyone who wants to talk to someone right now to text hello to 50808 um, and uh, someone will be there to speak to them at, at 24-7 for free. Brilliant, Kiki. Thank you so much for joining us on the Opinion Line this morning. Let us know what you think. Do we need to be introducing more mental health awareness in schools? 1850 715 the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie Are you ready? We all love Irish music and the artists that make it. The last 18 months have been devastating for this industry and we want to play our part to help. Cork's 96FM is proud to support Irish Music Month by promoting the amazing work of Irish artists. Across the country, independent radio with Hot Press is spotlighting Irish music and paying Irish artists over €95,000 to play and perform for us. We're committed to promoting Irish music. Are you? Irish Music Month on Cork. Cork's 96FM is supported by the BAI Sound and Vision Fund and XL Retail, offering a great deal more at your local store. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. 
The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM. Welcome back. Fiona Corcoran in for PJ Coogan on this Thursday morning. Now, the ESRI have released details of their economic outlook for the rest of the year. And Kieran McQuinn will be joining me now in a second, Kieran, if you don't mind holding on for a minute, because we do have some good news. We spoke there in the last hour to Zoe, whose car was attacked, and she said that she's very frightened now going out by herself. And uh, Frank Murphy, who runs the self-defence classes, has been on. Frank, good morning. I believe you're a very busy man, so I'm only going to take up a minute of your time. But you That's had all right. I was disappointed to hear that. Yes. Yeah. Um. You you wanted to um offer Zoe a self defence class. Is that right? Well, well, I I I, I think uh, yeah, she's welcome to come down to me. I'm based in Mitchestown. I got a unit down there. I'll teach her any morning or most afternoons. I'm, I'm busy most at, at nights, but um, it, it's I heard that you like. She was attacked in a car park and, and or sorry, in a petrol station. And the problem, Fiona, is what a lot of people do, and, and a lot of males do this as well. When, when we stop our cars and park it in the car, we're safe inside in our car, and we, we have this thing that over at the end of our journey, so we desensitize to any threat. So we turn off the ignition, and we're, we're, we're okay. We're not. It's in those transition moments, like when you're, when you're in your car and you're, you're going from your car to your house or going from the car, especially going from the car to a shopping centre, like you're at the end of your journey, that's when you kind of relax. And I tell you, the minute we relax, crime and these hoods, they don't take, they never take their, their foot off the clutch because they're, they're really on the gas all the time as regards watching you for vulnerability and shock as well. Do you want it? Like they're, yeah. they're, 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 they're stock and trade, shock, surprise. And, and they're looking for any sense of vulnerability and, and that's it. And and that's that's one thing I'd give if I had a, if I, a, I'm trying to squeeze <laughs> advice in the minute there. Yeah. Like and scream and roar as much as you can. Like be an unwilling victim. Be the most awkward like bitch if you have to want to call her a bastard if you yeah. have to be. Like when someone attacks you like scream, roar, knock over glasses, like, you know, break a window, kick down, you know, the, the, what, what, um, I think there's actually a nap, Fiona, if you, if you guys check out there, there's a nap, I think, that um, some crowd are doing, that, uh, it's called shout or something like that, mm-hmm. that when, 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 uh, when anybody is attacked, you press this thing and it's a trim, uh, horrible sound of it, even screaming or uh, anything like that, that will, no, no, I know there's embarrassment, you see, the, pr- the problem is, when, 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 when we're confronted like this, the first thing that hits you is fear. And, and, and that kick in the, your, your adrenaline glands are rocking overdrive because it, 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 it's, it's, uh, it's, it's shutting down all the small little parts of your body and all the big parts of your body is getting, uh, it's, it's, yeah. it's, you're in fight or flight. And that's in fact, they call that fight or flight, but actually the real term for that should be fight, flight, or freeze. They're like the three Fs. Perfect. But, like be an unwilling victim, scream your head off, and 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 do do, do understand that like f- fear it, that that's a way of like that, that that's all right to be frightened, you know, because yeah. these guys are hoping that you will be. But if you okay. if you if you jump over that, you you should be okay. Brilliant, Frank. Listen, thank you so much for getting in touch with us here on the opinion line this morning, and when we put. put put you in touch with Zoe after the, after the show. Thank you very much for that. Now, as I mentioned, the ESRI has released details of its economic li- outlook for the last quarter of this year. And joining me now to go through this is Kieran McQuinn. Good morning, Kieran. Good morning. Kieran, it's, it's not all bad news. I think when um, the, the COVID-19 pandemic kicked in, we all thought that, um, to know that uh, it was going to be bad news for the economy. But it's, uh, it's, not all, it's not all bad news. Is that right? 
Yeah, well, I suppose, you know, it depends where and what part of the economy, what sector of the economy you're, you're working in, really, in terms of the impact that it's had. So clearly there were some sectors of the economy that weren't affected at all by COVID-19. Uh, and then there were obviously some sectors that were hugely impacted, um, you know, such as the hospitality and tourism uh, and uh, even re- some, some re- elements of retail. So clearly it depended on what sector you were working in. But I suppose in general terms, the economy has... Uh, seems to have come through the pandemic in, in quite a strong position. And now as we move into uh, you know the latter part of this year and into next year, I think our, our expectation is it will grow quite strongly. And of course, the positive aspect of that is it will mean that the unemployment rate will come down. The unemployment rate is still quite high. It's around 10%. Mm. But our our belief is that, you know, as we move through this year and into next year, that the rate will come down, uh, you know, quite a bit. And um, the the, um, the the expectation is that Irish GDP will grow by 12.6%. What's leading to that growth? Is it because of the foreign investment here in Ireland? Yeah, there's a number of factors. So last year, the economy also actually grew, which was quite remarkable in the middle of the, of the, of the pandemic. And, mm. and that was mainly down to the export sector and the multinational sector in particular. This year, it's a combination of both the multinational sector, which is, continues to perform quite strongly, um, and other elements of the export sector, and also domestic sources of growth. So, you know, consumption, investment, these are now really kicking back in. You know, when the economy was opened up and when the public health measures were eased, that allowed uh, people to go out, spend money, uh, either households going out spending money or firms uh, and businesses spending money. And that's why you're seeing a, a very, very strong growth rate because it's right across the export sector and the domestic sectors. We've been hearing an awful lot in recent weeks about the global supply chain problems and energy prices. What kind of an impact is that going to have? Yeah, I mean, it's it's having a, quite a, an impact at the present, I suppose, in terms of inflation in particular. So you're seeing obviously gas prices and energy prices are going up uh, particularly sharply this year. Um, and that's in response to kind of international conditions. Obviously, the longer those go on, the more likely they are to continue to feed into higher prices for people. Um, some of the inflation that we have seen in, in recent times is down to the kind of the, the exceptional nature of what's happened. The fact that you, you're, you've closed down parts of an economy, then you open it up. So you, you do expect to see price jumps in, in certain areas. Mm. But as I said, at the moment, it's more international conditions that are driving the kind of inflationary uh, elements. And, you know, our expectation at this stage is that those factors will start to kind of diminish in importance as you move into the new year. And so that by the end of the next year, you should see inflation rates kind of coming back down to where they were before the pandemic. But a lot of these factors, particularly to do with gas, uh, they're kind of more to do with geopolitical issues. You know, the fact that Russia has such a, a strong presence in the market, etc. So it's 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 not the easiest thing in the world to predict either. But um, I think that would be the general view as far as energy prices are concerned. So just uh, like I know you're not in a position to answer um, on on politics, but like for for Pascal Donoghue now when he's looking ahead at the budget and stuff, um, do you know you 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 know you, you mentioned there that we have a smaller uh, that the growth in taxation receipts has contributed to a smaller deficit in 2021 than expected, but obviously there's going to have to be significant investments in things like housing, climate change, and healthcare. So what uh, what does he need to be kind of conscious of and and you know. Um, what are the key factors that you guys are saying that needs to happen? 
Well, we've called for greater investment in areas like housing. Um, so we'd welcome any 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 increase in investment there. And in obviously climate change, I think will require significant investment as well in the years ahead. Mm. Uh, I think the key the key thing is that if the government is increasing its investment, that means it's going to be spending more money and generating a lot of activity in and itself. Now, the economy is also performing very strongly. So the danger with that is that you could have what we call overheating so that the economy will tend to, prices will start to go up, inflation rates will start to pick up because it, we, we're running up against capacity constraints. So what we've said is that in order to be able to spend that extra money on capital and in investment, the government is going to have to be disciplined as far as current expenditure is concerned. And that's you know issues around things like uh, public sector pay, issues around the possibility of tax cuts. The government's going to have to be very cautious and prudent in those areas if it is going to be able to spend the money in other areas such as housing and climate change. Uh, and as I said, make sure that the growth in the economy is sustainable going forward. And lastly, Kieran McQuinn, um, wages are wages likely to go up? And if they do, could that be eaten by inflation? Well, I mean, obviously, if inflation increases, it it does eat into the buying power of 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 the you know the the take home pay that people have. I think you know it depends on the sector. So clearly, there is huge demand for labour in certain sectors of the economy, um, particularly now that we're opening up that will see wages pick up in those sectors of the economy. Other areas, um, you know, you'll have less upward pressure on wages. Mm. Um, overall, I mean, we would expect wages to increase clearly going forward. But as I said, you see significant variations across the economy in terms of the degree of wage growth. Brilliant, Kieran McQuinn. Apologies again for um, having you on hold there at the start. Um, and thank you very much for joining us on the opinion line this morning. Let us know how you think, how you feel about that. 1850 715 996 0833 996 Earlier we were speaking to Zoe who was telling us about how she was parked uh, in her car and um, a group of young people came up and uh, threw ketchup all over it and one person kicked her car and she spoke about how frightened she was and somebody has been in touch with us to tell us this story. Hi there, I just heard you talk to the girl about the incident with her car in Toker. My son's friends in UCC were walking on College Road a couple of weeks ago. There was a car cruising College Road and throwing eggs at students who were walking home. My son's friends got egged and it made a mess of their jackets. So they decided to go home and get some eggs and if the car came back they would then egg them back. Probably not the best idea but anyway it's what happened. The car came back and the students threw the eggs back and then the two guys got out of the car, one with a golf driver and the other with two hurls and started chasing them to start a fight. Luckily the students were able to outrun these hooligans. This is appalling behaviour and just so unfair to the students who are just trying to walk home and yet they are being bullied by these guys who have nothing better to do. Just wanted to share this story and thank you. Thank you very much for that um, caller. It's, um, you know, I suppose it just shows um, how you handle a situation like this. You know, I mean, I know that um, the, the students wanted to fight back, but you just don't know, how, um, you know, what, what the outcome of that is going to be. And I suppose we have to emphasise how careful people need to be in a situation like this. So thank you for that. Keep your comments coming in to us. We have loads of comments on things that we've been discussing and I will get to them later in the show. 1850-715-996-0833-969696. But before all that, uh, Grant has been in touch with us about the MICA crisis. Good morning, Grant. 
Um, uh, hi, Fiona. How are you doing? I'm very well. You are not up in Donegal, and I know that the Micah crisis is associated with the, uh, Donegal and, and Mayo, parts of Mayo. You are from West Cork, but just tell us your interest in this. Well, um, I, I, I'm in Donegal now as I speak to you. Okay. Um, I, I came up on um, the day before yesterday. Mm-hmm. And basically, the, the Micah crisis just really got under my skin, and I kind of felt like I just wanted to find out a little bit more about what was kind of going on. <clears throat> and like, um, so I, the first thing I did was I went to a community centre in in Mallon and mm-hmm. um, near Mallonhead, and um, I spoke to the caretaker, and and he said, you know, he showed me some cracks, and then he said, ah, sure, but you know, the manager has it as well, and if you look over there, that polytunnel, my house is behind that, and I have it, and and then he he said, I spent nine years living in a caravan, building that house with my own hands, and now it's full of my you know. Anyway, he suggested I visit this this near pub five minutes away. And that, that was a particularly sad story because, you know, like on t- you might see some cracks or whatever, but when you, when you, on, 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 on a video or whatever, but when you hear the stories. So mm. the, this this story, if, if, you know, if I could, um, the, the, it's a father and mother and, and, and four, um, you know, sons and daughters, you know, there's four kids. Yeah. And so the mother and father downsized and built a new house. And um, one of the kids inherited the parents' house. And then there's a, another kid um, built a house. So, you know, the, the two houses both have Micah, you know, the parents, you know, retirement house has Micah. And then the, the, there's the other daughter has Micah. And then the other son... Um, actually bought blocks from uh, a company in Northern Ireland um, prior to Brexit. So he was able to buy them, you know, before, you know, any extra Brexit taxes are involved. Like, mm. and, um, and, and then the thing is, like, he feels guilt over it. He feels guilt that he's got good blocks, you know. And you're talking about mental health, you know. I mean, it's just, I mean, imagine you've spent your life savings, you know, or, or, you're, or, or you're spending, you've got a mortgage, and, and the house is crumbling, and um, you know what, what? What does that do to a person? Do you know? Because um, I think, like you know, we you know we see the the images on on the news, and we hear people on the radio talking about it. But these are family homes that have been absolutely destroyed. They're they're crumbling on in, into the ground. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, I mean, like uh, one of the other stories I heard there was like uh, uh, it was uh, somebody selling house. And it was uh, sale agreed, everything grand, everything going to be perfect, and you know, and then the, and then the, the buyer's bank was like, oh, well, we'll just do the old Micah test there, and and of course it tested, it tested positive. Mm. Now the thing is, um, the neighbour then, the neighbour was in bits like, because mm. you, know, you know, if 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 the guy next door has it, and you know, houses built at a similar time, well, shit, that means I've got it, you know. But I mean, even if you imagine if you if you're living up here in in, in a house built, uh, I can't remember the exact dates. Was it like 1999 or mm. late late uh, mid mid 90s to mid 20s? Um, but your house is okay now, and um, and you're just thinking, oh my god, what 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 if I see a what if a crack happens in my house? You know. But I mean, then you, you're going to issues. Then like you know the you know the government is saying, okay, so like. You have to reuse as much as you can in your in your current house if if you do get it if your house does qualify for yeah. demolition and rebuilding. 
So you have to save the kitchen, you have to save the stairs, you have to save the couch and the beds and the, all that stuff, right? And where are you going to put that? Yeah. And then, like, one idea is get containers, but um, but then apparently the advice was containers have no kind of airflow and, uh, you know, your stuff's just going to get mildewed and get manky. So then there's, like, looking for sheds. But, I mean, you're talking about, like, I mean, like, one estimate is 7,000, I've heard. One estimate is 4,000 homes are, are affected. I'm not mm. sure exactly what the right figure, what the correct figure is. But where are you going to get enough space to store all that stuff, even if you can find a decent shed that has proper humidity? Yeah. And where, where are you going to get the builders? I mean, driving up here, the Construction Industry Federation was going on about how they don't have enough tradesmen yeah. and how, you know... Um, you know, who, what 17-year-old is going to go and become a brick layer when he's going to get an apprenticeship for six euros an hour or whatever. Well, but I mean, if they're, not enough, if they're not enough tradesmen, I mean, the other, th- the other thing, I, 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 I'm not sure, I think it was the original scheme, or, or, or maybe it's the current, you know, maybe, I'm, I'm not sure, but there was something about that, you know, that the, the, the people whose homes are affected are insisting on a 40-year guarantee yeah. You know, that their house isn't going to fall down, you know, if they do get, for example, if they only repair the outer leaf walls, you know. Okay. Okay. Um, but. Um, yeah, Grant, listen, thank you so much for that. Um, I just have to go to the next caller there. But thank you very much for getting in touch with the opinion line on Cork's 96 FM this morning. Um, now, I had mentioned earlier that um, we had been speaking about mental health yesterday and we had been contacted by a mother who was talking about how mental health is taught in schools. And she joins me on the line now. Kaz, good morning. Hi, how are you? I'm very well, I'm very well. Kaz, you were talking about um, the way mental health was taught in the schools where your children were going. Just tell me a little bit about what they learnt in school. Yeah, so we're very lucky. We sent the kids to preschool in Wallaroo, which is just up the road there from you guys. Um, And they have a huge focus on like mental health, even for now they don't, I suppose, like they're not being told as three-year-olds, you're now learning about mental health. But they're learning about, you know, oh, you have a big feeling. What does this feeling, you know, how does this feel or whatever? So they get to identify their emotions. Um, they get to learn what makes them frustrated. They get to recognize their triggers, all that kind of stuff, which mm. I suppose in most, well, I don't know actually about other preschools. I just know about the one that we went to. But yeah. like I remember when, when my eldest started in primary school, like it was on day two or day three and the teacher took me aside of junior infants and she said, um, you know, she's, such, such and such a thing that's after happening has made her feel very frustrated and she said I've never heard a four-year-old discuss yeah. the fact they've been frustrated before and she was able to you know explain to me this is why it's frustrated me and this is how I'd like to deal with it you know so these are I mean obviously this is reinforced at home but these are skills that they would have picked up in Wallaroo um that's it's led by a woman over there called Joni who's just phenomenal and her staff is just amazing it's just a beautiful child-led kind of a, a service and it's just all about the kids and making the kids comfortable and meeting the kids where they are so like if they misbehave it's not you're a bold child it's mm. trying to figure out what the trigger is for that misbehavior now obviously there's obviously consequences like it's not that the kids are getting away with you know causing war yeah. but it's definitely a case of okay this behavior is seen as a communication so what is this child trying to communicate and how can we resolve this conflict together kind of thing and so now they're in primary school um, they're in Educate Together in Middleton yeah. and the staff there are just phenomenal. Like I genuinely, and I know I'm completely biased because the kids are there, but 
I've never come across staff like them. They're so dedicated to, you know, all the families. Mm. And this is from the top down. Like the principal is amazing, turns himself inside out for the families, cannot do enough for everybody, although there's constantly being more demanded of them. Um, the staff are just amazing. Like your kid is seen as your kid. It's not one of, however, you know, it's they're very much seen for who they are. And the, the teachers are able to bring out the individual strengths of the kids. And every primary school, as far as I know, every primary school in Ireland is doing a programme called Weaving Wellbeing. Yeah, I was just going to ask you about that. What is that? So that is a programme designed by, as far as I, re- I, I remember, um, a psychologist who's also a teacher and um, another guy. It's, it's designed by a woman and a man who I believe both have a background in psychology and education. Mm. So I think it starts in either first class or second class. But even from junior infants on, the kids are taught about feelings. And, you know, again, it's kind of a continuation of the kind of stuff that they would have learned in Malaroo. But Weaving Wellbeing then has um, there's a teacher's workbook and there's a children's workbook. And they do stuff in school and they take stuff home. So this week now, my seven-year-old, her homework was to identify her main characteristic traits, um, which ones are her strongest, which ones are her favourites, have a discussion in the family about which of her traits we all think are our favourites and why we like them. And, you know, she, you know, my seven, my nine year old is learning about resilience. And can you give me an example of a time when something was really hard and, you know, you came, you overcame it and what did you do and who helped you and all that kind. And it's just it's really nice because the kids actually get to sit down and identify, well, I just went through COVID and that was really, really difficult. And Mm. I didn't get to see my friends and I wasn't allowed out on the green to play. And, you know, we had to stay isolated from everybody. We couldn't see Granny. We had to only talk to her on the phone. We could only FaceTime with our cousins. It was really lonely. And I'm really resilient because I've come through that. And now I'm able to meet people again. And, you know, just being able to just name things and and go through things, you know. Because we were speaking earlier to Kiki from spunout.ie and she was saying the Mm -hmm. same thing. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. 
They've designed must-have travel styles for when you need to jet. The lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit make these shoes some of the most packable styles ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Take the Super Light Tree Runner on your next adventure. Its cushy, lightweight foam midsole supports every step, and the extra outsole traction gives you the grip to just go for it. The Eucalyptus Fiber Upper adds next-level breathability to keep you going all day. Plus, the Super Light Tree Runner is comfortable and ready to go right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Super Light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And, because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. And it's really important for young people to be able to identify feelings like that. And I mean, you're saying like yeah. if they're learning them in preschool, it just becomes second nature to them. They don't even have to give yeah. it a second thought. <clears throat> but this is the thing, because like when we were like my generation, like we, we're lucky in that our parents were starting to open up to this kind of stuff. Yeah. But people who would be just even five or ten years older than me, they would have been told, you know, as soon as they acted up, it was like, no, you're a bold child. You know, and it wasn't now. I mean, obviously, behaviors have to be addressed. I'm not saying they don't. Yeah. But it was the instant reaction was no bad. Don't do that. And it wasn't a case of why are you doing that or what's going on with you or, OK, you, you're having really big feelings right now. or You know, you're very, very loud right now. I can hear you shouting, you know, what what is making you so cross or, you know, there's it was just instantly no naughty step, get away from the family, you're isolated and it's not being dealt with. So you're taught to push down whatever that emotion is. You're taught that's not acceptable. You don't get to express your grief, your anger, your fear, your excitement in public around the family. And especially a lot of boys would have been taught that, you know, like Mm. girls would have gotten a softer touch and boys would have been told, no, big boys don't cry, all that kind of stuff. And it's such a toxic mentality for all kids, you know, because then they're learning, okay, when I have a big issue I have a big problem I have a big fear well I don't get to express that because that's not accepted in society so I need to push this down so then they learn to deal with it in another way whether it's self-harm whether it's you know depression whether it's not the depression is obviously a learning technique or anything but you know it comes it manifests differently and there's an awful lot of um you know, mental health issues in Ireland, like we have a huge suicide problem, Yeah. you know, and, and I'm not saying for a second that the parents are to blame. Obviously, I'm not. I'm saying as a society, we have grown up to learn that it's not acceptable to talk about uncomfortable things in public. You know, you don't talk about that in polite yeah. company, you know, whereas, yeah, you do. It's OK to say, you know, if somebody says, how are you doing? It's OK to say, you know what, I'm crap, I'm having a really tough time and I don't know how to deal with this. And if someone's uncomfortable with that, that's okay because we can sit in the discomfort. We don't have to have the solutions, but we can sit in it with you and say, you know, I don't know the solution to this, but I can come on the journey with you and I can help you through it. I can be your support person, you know? And I think the fact that they're learning that so young now and how to support one another, because there is an aspect of how do you support your friends? If somebody's really sad, what do you do to help your friend? You know, how can you be a good friend to someone who's hurting? And it's just it's just beautiful the way that it's being rolled out, I think.
It is brilliant. And listen, thank you so much for getting in touch with us here on the Opinion Line, Kaz. Uh, we appreciate the comment. Um, what do you think of that? Definitely food for thought in what Kaz is saying. 1850-715-996-083-396-96-96. And another one um, that would uh, I'd love to get your opinion on is definitely something to think about. Um, uh, Caller was in touch with us this week to say, good morning, my child is due to make their confirmation today. He is now in second year of school, but due to COVID, the original confirmation date of early 2020 was postponed on a number of occasions. These children haven't been taught one aspect of what the sacrament of confirmation is about. I think it's a poor reflection on the church that our bishop couldn't make time to even send a generic letter to these children, giving some few words on their pending day. It's little wonder that the church are losing the younger generations. Please do not read out my name as I have other children in the school. It's worth noting that my issue isn't with the school. I feel that the bishop has left these children down. He should have reached out to them and made an effort in preparing them for the sacrament which they are about to receive. Thank you. Well, what do you think of that, listeners? Do you think that the bishop should be in touch with every child um, and send um, a letter uh, with a, f- a few words of encouragement ahead of the day, eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six zero eight three three ninety six ninety six ninety six. Also, I was speaking to Grant there um, about the Micah situation. He's from West Cork. He has gone up to Tony Gall to meet some of the families that have been affected, and um, he wanted us to uh, let people know that tomorrow, Friday, there is a protest about the Micah damage, and it's taking place in Parnell Place in Dublin, and they're marching to the Dáil. Uh, they will assemble for 12 midday when the march starts. And um, now on to, um, we were speaking yesterday about breastfeeding week and um, we were speaking to somebody from La Leche. Now this morning I'm joined by dietitian and breastfeeding advocate and mother from Cork, Liz O'Sullivan. Good morning, Liz. Hi, how are you? I'm very well, I'm very well. Thank you for joining us on the Opinion Line this morning. Now, Liz, it is Breastfeeding um, Awareness Week, so obviously there's a lot of talk about it at the minute. Um, you uh, wanted to join us this morning to talk about the laws um, around the general marketing of formula products in particular. Is that right? Yeah, so I am a volunteer with an organisation called uh, Baby Feeding Law Group. And so we're an alliance of organisations who are interested in the legislation around infant formula. So it is National Breastfeeding Week, obviously, but our organisation is interested in protecting and helping, you know, families regardless of how they how they feed their babies. Mm. So we would like to um, strengthen the legislation around the marketing of infant formula because at present, um, marketing is restricted for products that are used for for babies up to six months. Um, And what that means is that companies then just go ahead and they they kind of create new products for babies six to 12 months and 12 months plus, and then really quite aggressively um, market those products. And essentially that's just, you know, another way of promoting their brand and and encouraging their product. Um, And we think that this can be um, problematic for all families, you know, because sometimes the information that's provided is not always accurate. And mm. um, the marketing can be quite aggressive and make people feel that they, they need to use these products, they have to use these products. Um, and so we want to to restrict that quite, yeah. quite heavily um, and just make sure that information that families get is unbiased. It comes from reputable sources. You know, we would like all information to come from the HSE. And um, if people need or want to use infant formula, they should be able to get information about that from, you know, public health nurse, from a dietitian, from a GP. Um, you know, of course, products should be available in shops. You know, we're not suggesting that that we restrict access to products, 
It's just that we restrict um, companies directly giving information to families about them. And have you made a case to the government? Um, we're slowly working on it. So we we're <laughs> there, there's kind of a lot of a lot of work to be done, a lot of ad- advocacy to be done in the area. Mm. Um, so there is a, a really great document in place called uh, the WHO Code of Marketing. So the World Health Organization, um, 40 years ago this year now developed a code to describe kind of how to appropriately market these products, or you know what's what's acceptable and what's unacceptable. Um, and, you know, the legislation or the documents, the, all the information is there, it's available from the WHO. Um, and unfortunately, Ireland have only adopted part of that legislation. So, you know, worldwide, it really varies country by country, you know, how much of the legislation has been has been adopted. Um, and we really feel that we need to be a bit stronger with that. Um, mm. And, you know, we need to, to really try and protect more of our families uh, from the aggressive marketing. You know, you have things like... Um, you know, baby clubs that that infant formula companies set up and you know they set them up under the guise of providing information f- about bathing your baby or you know general baby care mm. um that's still getting kind of the brand name out there and brand recognition is so important you know those in the field of marketing would would know that so even if you're if the company isn't talking to you directly about infant formula you know the fact that you're engaging with their brand you know, creates kind of a positive image of that brand in, in your mind. And so that's something then that, um, you know, that sticks with you. And, and if you're in a shop, then it might be something that you that you pick up that you may not have bought otherwise. Um, and I mean, there's also, you know, you've some of the ads would say things like, you know, when you're ready to move on from breastfeeding, you know, this product is available suggesting that you have to move on from breastfeeding, you know, which, yeah. which you don't have to, if you don't want to stop breastfeeding, you don't have to, you know, breastfeed as long as you like, and then you can transition your child onto kind of normal family foods, you know, when they're two, three, four, whatever age yeah. it may be. So I think... You're, you're also campaigning for provisions to be made available at work and in commercial areas for breastfeeding. I mean, that's such a, a huge issue for so many people, isn't it? It's massive, yeah. So I think what we have at the moment nationally is that... Um, there are breastfeeding or lactation breaks available up until your child is 26 weeks of age. So that's Mm. six months. And that's nearly the entire time that most women have access to maternity leave. So it's, you know, it's kind of pointless really to have access to lactation breaks at work up until that point. Um, Now there are sectors of society who have introduced extended lactation breaks. So lactation breaks up until um, the child is two. And so that's kind of, the HSE would recommend that we breastfeed till two or beyond, you know, as long as mom and baby want to. Yeah. Um, so it makes sense then that we would provide breaks for up until the baby is two. And so staff working for the HSE, staff working in the civil service and teachers all have lobbied and gotten access to this these additional breaks. And I think that's fantastic, but it, it's really um, unfair to those who don't work in those industries. So we have, you know, a section, an entire sector of society who don't have those protections. So I think that needs to be nationally mandated. And, you know, Minister Roderick O'Gorman has, um, has suggested that there's been some kind of talk that seems that this is something that that's on his radar. And so we would really like to, to push that and encourage him very strongly to, to introduce that, to make the access to, you know, breastfeeding, wider across mm. all of society you know sh- somebody shouldn't be you know essentially penalized because they're not a teacher or because they don't work in the civil service yeah um, exactly people in all sorts of jobs you know deserve this access 
Yeah, and, and somewhere that they can go in comfort in, in the workplace as well to do it because it's not like you can just do it in the middle of your office, like, you know. Well, you know, and that's it. And even, you know, sometimes you'd see these types of provisions being introduced into mm. kind of sectors where people have kind of more autonomy. They're, they're able to do what they like nearly with their day or, you know, they can organise their own meetings or their own schedules. And even in in some office buildings, there may be an empty office that, that somebody could go to to use. Now, I think there should be a dedicated area but I'm thinking more of somebody who maybe works in a supermarket or who works in retail yeah. where, you know, there's no office at all there, you know, there's no kind of spare, spare room. Um, and so I think just that needs a lot more, a lot more consideration. Yeah. Um, and the types of breaks, you know, it may be that somebody takes an hour at the start of their day or an hour at the end of their day or, you know, an extended mm-hmm. lunch. Um, so there just needs to be a lot more consideration about that to make it fair across all segments of society. Brilliant. Liz O'Sullivan, thank you very much for joining us on the Opinion Line this morning. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on Leaside. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's Entertainment. Presenting two inimitable and formidable musicians during the upcoming Guinness Cork Jazz Festival, Corkonians Paul Dunley and Cormac McCarthy are joining forces in a set to include both standards and original compositions. You can catch the duo at Triscoll Christchurch on Friday, October 22nd. Access all areas. Philadelphia Here I Come is the modern classic by playwright Brian Friel and it's the first major dramatic presentation for live audiences at the Opera House since the easing of restrictions. It's Running currently at the venue until October 16th with tickets on sale from CorkOperaHouse.ie. Access all areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a show, play, exhibition, or gig coming up, or any live streaming events by emailing us at AAA at 96FM.ie. Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Cork's 96FM. This is Black History Month, and joining me now to talk about this is Dr. Eben Joseph, who's a lecturer in Black studies in UCD. Good morning, Dr. Eben Joseph. Good morning. How are you today? I'm very well. How are you? I'm in good form. Thank you. Good. For people who don't know, just explain a little bit about what Black History Month actually is and what uh, how it all came about. Um, so, um, and thanks to everyone who's on the call listening in. So Black History Month was um, actually first originated as part of uh, an initiative by a writer called um, Katachi Woodson in the United States. He actually launched what was called the Negro History Week in 1926. Now, what happened was in the United States, you know, because of racism, the enslavement of black bodies and all of that, they found that when they were going to school, you know, in their public schools, in the society, in the media, everywhere, that the information about black people was always very negative. You know, and so Kataji Wilson is an educator. He began to argue that, you know, that only a black person's education, you know, starts with knowledge about other people. You actually go through your education system and they teach you about other people's history, other people's beginning, how they started. You don't learn about yourself. You know, the interesting thing, you know, um, uh, this week, you know, a friend, somebody that was on a course I ran, you know, mm-hmm. she was just saying that until last year, she, she was 44 last year, until last year. Imagine a black woman, she's 44 years old, until last year. Last year was the first time she had ever in all her life been taught by a black person who was me. Can you imagine that? Now, imagine what it would be like for you, 
you know, the, mm. the presenter now, just going through school, you know, for, for as long as you've lived. And everybody who's taught you has always been black. Never a white person teach you, um, you know, anything at all. You know, so really black history was to, um, not to talk about the bad things that have happened to black people, but to actually talk about the good things, their strengths, who they were. You know, most times when I teach on black, um, black studies, I ask people, what do you know about black people? Most times they always talk about the enslavement. They always yeah. talk about things that went wrong with black people. I'm like, okay, you do know that black people existed before they were enslaved. Now, who were they? What did they do? What have they achieved? Even despite the enslavement, what have they done? So black history is to really help us understand who black people are, what they've done, where they've been, you know, um, Maybe, yes, some of their challenges, but how they've overcome that rather than focusing on the things that went wrong with them. So do you think that we should be changing the narrative then and with Black History Month in particular, rather than looking at the negatives like enslavement and racism, that we should be looking at the good things that happen in, in, in black culture and, and celebrate the achievements of, of people of colour? Yeah, I think the the thing that happens is that most times when people have a Black um, Black History Month event, if they don't have a full understanding of what it is, then they end up going there and talking about slavery and all of those things again. Even if I came to an event and I was talking about the enslavement of black people, I would not tell you about the the, the pejorative side of all of that. What I would tell you is about, for example, one of the things we, we look at when I talk about it is why were black people enslaved? They were not enslaved because they were tired bodies or because they were weak or not. No, they were enslaved because they were actually very strong. They were enslaved because they were actually hard working. They were enslaved because they already had skills. When they went to Africa and you know stole them from their from their from their from where they were born, they were actually already farmers, um, good in goldsmith. So they were already they already had skills that they needed where they were going to. Do you understand? So yeah. even if you are talking about slavery, you have to talk about it from that point, you know, of what they already had. Not coming to like, oh, you know, when we are doing anti-racism with them, we do that. Yeah. You know, so, so yeah, so, so people who don't understand, they end up going through all of this. So, but black history is actually about black excellence. What black people have done, what they've achieved despite all of the things, you know, before, before, um, before their enslavement. So sometimes people invite me to um, companies to come and speak. Yeah. And I'm like, and they're talking about anti-racism. I'm like, okay, those are two different things. You have to decide. You want me to do an anti-racism talk or you want me to do a Black History Month talk? I can't. Do, those, those two things are two different things. You know, I will not use my Black History Month talk to do um, to do anti-racism talk and I will not use a, a anti-racism talk for Black History. So there are two different. The content is very different. The focus, your positioning, even when you're presenting, is very, very different. You, you said there that you do talks to, to businesses and stuff. You are a life coach, so I think it's important that we uh, celebrate that as well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so you, you go around to different businesses and, and you talk about um, about racism and about attitudes. And um, Have you noticed a, a change in attitudes here in Ireland, especially after yeah. everything that happened last year with the Black Lives Matter movement? Yeah, I would say yes and no. Yes, in that, you know, there is more awareness. Mm. Like, you know, people who, who never used to talk about race or racism are actually talking about it. People are beginning to realize, oh my God, I need to know more. People people who've never read the Black book before, you know, are reading Black authors now. You mm. know, so there, there is, you know, you will notice all of that movement. I mean, like, I think for even for me in my work, in the course of my work, you know, going to businesses, I went to businesses where, you know, that was the first time they had had a black person coming in to speak to them. That was number one. Yeah. So that was the first time they had organized anything around anti-racism. 
you know so yeah. some for some businesses i've gone in and you know like businesses that have like a, a small number like a hundred people actually training everybody in the organization to learn you know about anti-racism so i am seeing some of that movement in in particularly for businesses some are, some are actually more proactive than others some have been really very focused and um, some people have done like what they call like an employee relations group you know so where they have you know like a black art maybe black art you know, this organization. So where they actually focus on, you know, because in this organization, they have gender groups, they have LGBTQ groups, you know, so why not have something for black people as well? Hmm. So again, so some of them have done that. Um, and I think something that I have noticed as well is um, young people, you know, young people are able to, to speak up more now, you know, they're able to, at least you would have noticed from last year, a lot of the articles that came out were young people speaking up, you know, so I don't feel so much pressure that, oh, I have to speak now because I'm seeing, okay, a lot of people are speaking up and I'm like, okay, oh, I can rest a bit, you know. Yeah. <laughs> That's a bit of the pressure. It's off, yeah. me, off me to feel I have to respond to everything, you know. <laughs> now there are a lot of people responding to things. So for me, so I, I've noticed that. But I say no in that the Department of Education has not done anything. Yeah, the Department of Education has not done anything. I have secondary school teachers coming to look for me to say, how do we teach about racism? I have university students say, we want to learn black studies. You know, they don't mm -hmm. have them in their schools. So the education system, which should be the, the principal space that brings this change about, is the main people. They are the main people who have not done anything. I feel so sorry for our, uh, our secondary school teachers. Yeah, many of them are faced with mixed, you know, race, and they're wondering how do we teach these people? How do we talk about black life? They are not equipped. Because you're and a lecturer in black system, studies, it's not in, equipping them. You're yeah. a lecturer in black studies in UCD. Is that the only black studies course that we have here? Yeah, it, it was at least until September this year, you know. Mm. Um, September this year, one more started, you know. But that only started because the students in the school actually petitioned the school. They petitioned the purpose of the school that they wanted black studies. Yeah. So and so it, since 2018, when, when I started one, they only just started another one now in September. Right. And Dr. Eben Joseph, if anybody wants to get involved or they want to know more about Black History Month, because I'm, I'm, I'm sure it's not just geared towards black people, it's geared towards everyone. So where can we find out about what's happening or how can we get involved? So, so first thing I would say is, I know we've been saying Black History Month, Black History Month, you know. So, Kataji wasn't talks about, you know, the miseducation of the black person that, you know, they have to learn their history so that, you know, they can understand who they are. You know, that a, a people, I mean, there's a, a, there's a quote he gave, he said, if a race has no history, it has no worthwhile tradition, it becomes a negligible factor in the thought of the world and it stands in the danger of being exterminated. So he says that every race must have its own history. So that's why he encourages black people to have black history. But I go one step further. I say, not just the black person, the white person must learn black history. Because for me, black history is world history. You know, it's like it's like you wake up and there's only day, 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 no night, or night, 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 no day. It should be a miserable life. You know, it's like a distorted version of, of knowledge. And that's what we have. So when we only learn, you know, white history, you know, you know, what you know about white people, we don't learn about black, then we miss out a huge yeah. thing. So please, black history month is for white people and black people. I teach black history in a black studies in UCD, two-thirds of my students are always white. Yeah. Even I run the Institute of Anti-Racism and Black Studies. In my institute, two-thirds of my students are always white as well. You know, so I have, so, so it's a huge interest from, you know, the white population. Now, what can you do? 
Again, go on. I, I run the, I'm the chairperson of the African Scholars Association. Yeah. If you go on our website, you will see some information about, you know, different African countries, which we research and put up there, you know, just for to give people something. You can go and study one, one African country every day for the rest of the month. Yeah. That's something you can do. There are a lot of events that are going on, you know. So again, this month, this year, we're trying to get a bit more coordinated. Hopefully, next year will be better, where we can yeah. actually have like a web page for Black History, where all our events, you know, different events that different groups are having can be advertised. Brilliant. But for now, you know, again, on online, you will see all of the events, you know, um, that are being that are taking place. But so attend events. So if you are listening, if you are wondering what can you do. You can, there are events coming up. Please attend one of the, at least make okay. sure the whole of this one, you've attended at least one talk, you Brilliant. know, on Black History and do that. Something else you can do, you know, increase your networks. Don't just make, have only your white friends or only your, you know, go online, you know, make sure you are following somebody else, you know, like whether it's on Twitter or LinkedIn, follow somebody else who is outside of your network. Deliberately make friends with people who are out, you know, from the, from, from a different, you know, uh, grouping than yours. So those are practical things. Go to the cinema, watch a black movie. You know, okay. <laughs> watch something nice, you know. Brilliant. Listen, Dr. Ibon Joseph, sorry to cut across you there. And I could talk to you all day, but unfortunately, we're going to have to go to a break and then to the news. Thank you very much for joining me, Dr. Ibon Joseph, on the opinion line this morning. Can we just talk? The opinion line on Cork's 96 FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Welcome back, Fiona Corker and in for PJ Coogan on this Thursday morning. And uh, we've just been contacted by Catherine Ross Murphy, who wanted to send a note of thanks to people who supported her recent fundraiser. She brought out a book called Catherine's Old Time Cookbook. And PJ spoke to her on the show here a couple of weeks ago. And the proceeds from the sales of those books were going to the um, charity, uh, the Community Air Ambulance, which is based up in um, North Cork and she has texted in to say that the that the proceeds came to 19,905 euro. She says she's absolutely blown away. She's dumbfounded by all the support that was shown and she just wants to thank us and everybody else who supported it. So thank you for that. Also with regards to the um to the story that we had earlier where the young woman was living at home with her parents and she has a 16-month-old daughter and there's no room in the house and she has been looking for a house for ages now and she's been told that um, it could be 8 to 10 years before she gets a house. Um, a caller has been in touch to say it's an utter disgrace that this poor girl has to go through this. I'm in council accommodation myself and have applied to be let out of it but I'm waiting for years and they can't help her get into a house. It's ridiculous just because she has a roof over her head. It's a box room not a home. It isn't fair at all. A 16 month old needs room to move. Keep your comments coming into us there. It's 1850 0833969696. Now, um, my next guest is um, a well-renowned person in the Formula Women's world. Good morning, uh, Laura Hannan. How are you? 
Hi, Fiona. How are you? I'm very well. I'm very well. Just um, the interest in motor racing, where did all of that come from? Um, I think, yeah, like motor racing in general, I've always been interested in it um, since I was a kid. Mm. Um, I remember being five and saying I want to be a race car driver. Like this has just always <laughs> been part of my life. So, yeah. um, and it's only in recent years that I've kind of developed into going for it myself. And I mean, like, you know, a lot of young girls may have that dream. I think like when I was a young child, I wanted to go to space, but I never got there. So how did you go from having the dream to actually making it a reality? Um, I suppose it's just something that never came out of my head. I remember being, when I was a teenager, I went to secondary school, was very good at STEM subjects. I started to realise that that was part of motorsport. Um, and then I went on to do mechanical engineering in CIT or MTU as it is now. Um, so it was always kind of in back of my head and always drove my decisions for my life. Um, mm. And then this idea came to me during lockdown, which was for the children's book about race car driving. And I just thought this is my this is a way of getting the next generation to believe even more than I did, I suppose. Um, I'll come back to the book there in a few minutes because I do want to talk about that and it is a book um, for charity as well. But just um, when you, uh, you you mentioned there that you went to CIT and MTU, um, was there anybody else, were there any other women in the course at that time? It was mechanical engineering, wasn't it? And you were the only one. Yeah, yeah. And Um, was that difficult? For the four years. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) You know what, I, I think... A lot of people would be like, I suppose on the first day, yes, Fiona, it was kind of like, oh, I, I, well, I was in the class going, okay, I'm the only girl. There was no other girls showing up. I was thinking, okay, this is a, this isn't what I expected. But you know what? I laughed every day for four years. Do you know what I mean? I yeah. had the best time. The guys were the nicest people. They're still my best friends to this day. There's not one regret I have for doing it. And I think I enjoyed my college life so much that it it didn't even matter that I was the only girl. I never really noticed it because you become one of them, you know, you kind of just end up, they forget that you're a girl half the time Um, (laughs) and you just, um, you're an engineer to them. Do you know that kind of way? You're not, you're not a girl, you're not anything, you're just an engineer and you're just one of the lads and it's a great experience. And you are um, in next year, is it that you're, or is it next month, sorry, that um, you're going for a trial for a seat in the McLaren for the 2022 British GT Cup? I am, yeah. Um, It was a competition that the UK, over in the UK called Formula Woman, and they basically opened it up to any woman over the age of 17 with a driver's license um, and anyone can apply and everyone is treated the same. Hmm. So I thought, you know, this is my only chance really, you know, to do something like this. It's incredibly difficult to get a, a race seat. Um, and there's a lot of financial backing that needs to go into it. And with the Formula Woman competition, I suppose it's kind of that way of catapulting um, talent forward. And that's what they're trying to do. Um, so I applied for it and I've been working with Mandela Park and Kiltork and Raceway and they've been helping me get better at racing because I would have driven my whole life I've even when I was a kid I was driving cars and Mm. bikes and all kinds of things but I never raced and so this is my first opportunity to really hone in that and I found a real talent for it so that's been you know amazing to to finally find you know the thing that was in the back of my head was actually real I, I am good at this and that I can make 
something of myself in the racing world. Um, so the competition is next month. Um, it's an assessment that will um, basically assess your driving skills, um, your media skills and your, your general personality. And then you'll get into the next round, which will assess you further. Um, it's kind of very, I think it's televised. So it's a reality TV kind of show, I guess. Um, and the winner then will get a seat in the in a McLaren for the British GT Cup next year. Wow, which well, is best phenomenal. Luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll need it. <laughs> and just tell me then about um, your book. You said that um, you wrote this book when during the lockdown. Yeah, so I was always good at drawing and writing and things like that when I was younger. And I would have done a lot of drawing of race cars in particular when I was in secondary school. But when I went to college, I kind of let it go a little bit because I just got busy. You know, mm. mechanical engineering is an incredibly difficult field and you have to put all your energy into it. So I was putting my energy into that and then I went working and I put my energy into that. And I I drew a little bit, but I wasn't really doing it consistently. And then over lockdown, I started to draw consistently. Mm. And the idea of Daisy kind of was floating around in my head, but I'd never... I didn't know how to get it down on paper and I finally got it down on paper over lockdown and I didn't really realise it was a book until, you know, till it was in front of me and I went, oh wait, I have a book here. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just drawings and they had, like I had a little story in my head and yeah, that's how it all came about really. Fantastic. And it is, um, it's, the proceeds from the book are going to support children's services in CUH through CUH Charity. Yes, that's that's it. Exactly. Um, yeah. So when I realized I had a book, I contacted two two organizations, Formula Female, which is run by Olympian Nikki Daly. Um, they're all about getting girls into motorsport and, and getting girls to see their STEM subjects in school and how they apply to motorsport and getting them interested in STEM that way. Mm. Um, and they got back to me straight away. And then I contacted the CUH because I wanted this book to have the biggest impact it possibly could. And I've always wanted to do something for the CUH charity. So I contacted them and they told me about their projects. So at the moment they have two projects that they're working on. One is a children's hospital, which is amazing. Yeah, It would be amazing for, for the kids of Munster to go to Cork instead of having to go to Dublin. Yeah. Um, and then the other one is a children's unit in the A&E itself. So when you bring your child into A&E, you'll be able to bring them into a children's section rather than bringing them into the main A&E because we all know Saturday night or whatever, it can be quite a busy place and quite stressful and they wanted a place for the kids to go in and keep them calm and keep them away from all of that. And I think that's an incredibly amazing project as well. It really is. It is amazing. And the books cost €8. Where can people buy them? Yeah, so I have um, a link on my Instagram. So my Instagram is at Laura Hannon Books. Um, so you can get the link on my bio on there. Um, I also, if you look it up on Twitter, it's also there. If you hashtag dream like Daisy, there's lots of posts there from myself and from Formula Female as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can also purchase it at the moment. You can purchase it in, in Lismore Heritage Centre and in Kiltorkin Raceway. So they're the main places at the moment. Fantastic. And they're on sale at the minute, yeah. Yeah, they're on sale, exactly. And it's Daisy's first race car is the name of the book. Thank you so much for that, Laura. That was brilliant and best of luck with everything in the future. Thanks to Laura for joining us on The Opinion Line on Cork's 96 FM. Can we just talk?
The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. The Cork Diary. On Cork's 96FM. Boeing Tractor and Vintage Car Run 2021 will take place on Sunday the 24th of October. Registration is at Boeing Hall at 11am and the run sets off at 12.30. Proceeds raised from the event are in aid of Marymount Hospice. If you have an event you would like mentioned, email corkdiary at 96fm.ie. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 715 996. On Cork's 96FM. At the start of the show this morning, we were speaking about the UCC Food Bank and how they ran out of food on the first day within the space of 50 minutes. And we were speaking to the UCC Students' Union Welfare Officer and to Katrina Toomey from Cork Penny Dinners. And there have been quite a few comments that have come in in relation to this subject. Anne says, Hiya, I do a food shop for my daughter who's at college every week. I make soup, bolognese sauce, etc. for her every week as well. She works weekends, so that's her going out money. Her shopping doesn't cost that much. I do it with my own shopping. I don't understand why other parents aren't doing the same. Look after your kids and buy their food. Well, I suppose, Anne, there's a lot of families who maybe aren't in a position to do that. We don't know the circumstances of all of the families. Um, Another caller has been in touch to say, lest we forget that students suffered a lot during the pandemic, learning online in their rooms, no social activity. I take my hat off to them and I think they deserve to head out now to mix and enjoy their youth. Fair play to those who set up the food bank. Lest we forget too, we as parents are finding it hard to put them through college and finally fair play to all those students who have taken the vaccine to help us on the road to recovery and that comes in from Josephine Tom says as a resident who lives near UCC for the last few nights we are being terrorised by students in the area it's amazing that when their bad behaviour is getting highlighted they find something to change the narrative and another caller has been in touch to say most of the students come from wealthy families, no need for them to be getting the service of penny dinners and I just Tom, um, just I know that um, there have been issues with par- student parties in the area and I think that uh, we have to remember as well that there are thousands and thousands of students in UCC and there's a handful who give everyone a bad name but not all students are thugs or having late night parties um, you know there are some real genuine cases and we did hear from um, Quiva earlier that there are some kids who are working, some students who are working and they just can't afford after they've paid for their accommodation bills they can't afford to feed themselves and some families are in difficult situations themselves so I suppose we have to kind of uh, remember that as well but thank you for your comments and keep them coming in 1850 715 996 Now uh, the government were in uh, Cork during the week and they announced details of the National Development Plan and there was some great road projects announced in Cork but uh, none it appeared for East Cork and Councillor Mary Linehan Foley has been posting about this. Good morning Councillor Foley. Good morning, how are you? I'm not too bad, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. You are uh, quite annoyed at the fact that East Cork didn't seem to get a mention in the National Development Plan at all. I was I was slightly annoyed is the way I'd put it. Um, I suppose we were all expecting, all councillors were expecting um, to have definitely the Killa Castle Martyr N25 bypass mentioned and of course the Cove Road as well which is not my municipal district but it would be in the South Cork Sorry area. Mary, can I just ask you to speak up there a little bit because um, it's, it's, it's quite low. Can you speak up a little bit? I will. Can you hear me now? 
Yeah, I think that sounds a bit better now. Yeah, thanks very much. Sorry okay, for interrupting sorry. you there. <laughs> sorry about that. Just to say that, yeah, I was quite disappointed, as were many more, as you know, um, that the N25 Killacastle Martyr Bypass Road, which is one that I suppose everybody's banging the drum on for the last number of years, a good number of years, and of course the photo road as well. Now, as I just said previous, um, East Cork Municipal District, the N25, the bypass for Killacastle Martyr would be my district. Mm. The Cove Road wouldn't be, but it would be South Cork. It would be still my area in the sense that for Cork County Council. And like we, I suppose as councillors and TDs all over the area have been fighting for this for a number of years. And it was disappointing, um, just to add that it wasn't in their development plan. But I spoke with I think so, Mary, they, they did say that there would be flexibility in the plan and that if some of the road projects didn't happen, that roads like the Killer Road and the Castle Martyr Road would be included. Yes, they did. And again, I, I spoke to officials yesterday in Cork County Council and they've mentioned that they'll be still continuing to work with TII and the Department of Transport to take whatever steps, you know, to make sure that we can progress on these schemes. Mm. And like, it, it's not that it's forever lost, but it was just disappointing that it wasn't mentioned in the National Development Plan. That was basically where I was coming from. And, you know, I live in Yall, I live in East Cork and everybody you speak to, and I got a lot of phone calls over the last number of days were disappointed as well because it's always good to have it mentioned because even though some of them are aspirational they're still mentioned and it means that they're going to happen at some stage you know and that Castle Martyr Road in particular um, you know especially at peak times during the day it can be an absolute nightmare Oh, it's a nightmare. It's even gone beyond a nightmare at this stage. I saw it during the summer months there. And of course, a lot might have been said because people were staycationing and whatever. But even in the summer months, it was actually a nightmare. There was people contacting me that were due to go into have babies that were ill. And like they were saying, they're stuck in traffic for 20, 20 minutes to a half an hour in Castle Martyr. And that's at a good time. Other times you could be stuck for 40, 45 minutes. So like it's a total nightmare and it's a bottleneck. And like... The government are all about sustainability and making sure that each of the rural towns are looked after. And, you know, this is one that should be high up in their agenda. I know yesterday, uh, James O'Connor, Deputy James O'Connor, um, had threatened to quit the Fianna Fáil party because of this whole issue. Do you think that he was right in what he said? Of course, of course. And like at the end of the day, not just James O'Connor, you've Sean Sherlock, you've Pat Buckley, you've David Stanton, all fighting and beating on the same drum for this. So like I'm not aware or I haven't spoken to James on this and I've only, to be honest, I've only heard what's out in the media. But like, of course, if that's the stance he wants to take, that's up to himself individually, you know. Mm. But I do feel, I suppose as well, that, you know, the majority of people were upset and disgusted when it wasn't mentioned. But look, as you said, I spoke to officials, our chief executive in County Hall yesterday. All isn't lost. Yeah. It's still something that we can still work with the department on and TII to make sure that something is done about the Castle Martyr Road. Okay. Do you feel that East Cork has been forgotten about? I do. Sometimes I feel like that, you know, especially with other different projects. And I suppose over the last number of years, East Cork is on the up, up more than ever, especially my own hometown. Mm. We've lots of projects happening there and we're encouraging people to come and visit. And we're dependent totally in y'all on tourism. So like you need to have a road that you can travel on without the hassle of being stuck in traffic for 40 minutes to encourage people to visit our beautiful areas in East Cork. Not just y'all, you've Ballycotton and you've other areas that we're depending on tourism. So like, I, I would hope that we won't be forgotten anymore. And as I mentioned, 
my term as mayor, we worked hard in all the different projects to make sure that we're not going to be forgotten. But look, all isn't lost, so it isn't um, a bad news story by mm. such. It's just a pity. It wasn't mentioned. It upset me. It upset all the TDs and councillors in the area. And look, we'll still keep banging on the drum to make sure that it isn't forgotten about. I know some people might argue that um, the solution is not a better road, that it would be uh, less cars on the road so that more people might take public transport or bicycles or whatever. But the public transport system isn't great then either, is it? So would you be calling for that to be improved? I would be calling for that to be improved. And we've mentioned that in a number of occasions. Like the rail line is gone and there was no hope of the rail line coming back. That's going to be our greenway. So that's going to be, hopefully, that would be a massive game changer for the town of Yall, Middleton, Mogili and Castle Marriott all in between. But like our our bus route isn't great. You have the number 40 bus and it comes. Some people are left behind and that's another story we could go on and on about. And like it isn't good. So that has to be improved as well. I 100% agree with you. But look, our greenway is going to really open up the area with bicycles and people out walking and it's going to tie up all the villages in between so that's a, a good news story as well you know but yes you are right we do need, imp- need improvement in our public in our in our public transport without a doubt Brilliant Councillor Mary Linehan Foley, Foley sorry thank you very much for joining us on the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM Just in relation to the discussion that we were having about students and working a listener has been in touch to say I was working and going to school right up to my leaving cert from 14 every second night in the bodega bar and in leaders north main street every saturday did me no harm great places and taught me a lot why are teens not allowed to work part-time now makes no sense independence is great thank you very much for that uh, does anybody agree with that caller 1850 or 083 396 also with regards to the discussion we had about micah um, and uh, grant had been in touch to say there is a protest tomorrow in Dublin um, and people can assemble at 12 o'clock in Parnell Place in Dublin and they'll be marching to the doll. Somebody has been in touch to say if you stood on one of those bricks in a certain way it would have crumbled. There was no stress done as part of the standard. We need to look at how materials are certified. Now um, this week it's uh, the budget is next week and we're going to be finding out uh, what Pascal Donoghue and Michael McGrath announce on uh, Tuesday but ahead of that Cork Hoteliers are calling on the government to maintain vital supports for tourism and joining me now is chair of the Cork branch of the Irish Hotels Federation and manager of the Kingsley Hotel Fergal Hart. Good morning Fergal. Morning Fiona. Fergal um, I know that um, the hospitality sector in particular was hit really really badly by the pandemic um, but you're open now so why do you need to have these additional supports? Well, in, in in the most recent survey there that the IHF carried out across the country, Fiona, we found that um, the projected occupancy figure is is coming out for hotels at thirty two percent across the across the year. Mm-hmm. So um, you know oh. that that would compare very negatively to previous years, which where it would have been kind of in the region of seventy three percent across the board. So so that's just one indicator of of the stress that that hotels are under. And and I, I you know I I, I think at times that maybe the message goes out that if uh, the summer is quite good for a lot of hotels that that's the year almost kind of sorted but of course that's not really the case you know it's um it's the nine and ten months uh, across the rest of the year that we're now facing into mm. um until next summer that that are the the real sort of challenging period for for hotels so would there be a lot of hoteliers concerned in cork 
Absolutely, yeah. I mean, you know, the the um, the international business, for example, is is extremely uh, important, obviously, to to hotels in Cork and beyond. And we're not seeing that obviously return um, anytime soon. That's the the reality of that is it's likely to be at least next summer before we before we start to see that return. Um, so so there is that real concern there, and obviously with with things starting to to go back to normal, and and we're absolutely delighted to see that. But you know, you'll you'll see more Irish people starting to starting to travel away and 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 take the opportunity to to travel to maybe some destinations and things like that that they mm-hmm. haven't had the, the chance to go to in, in in over the last kind of eighteen months to two years. So you know, on, until that international business returns, um, there is going to be a real gap there for hotels, and I think a lot of hoteliers, um, as you say, are concerned about that. So, what kind of supports are you looking for? Well, we'd like to see uh, really a continuation of of the government so- supports that have been in place there uh, up to now. You know that mm. that would include the the employment wage subsidy scheme, for example. It's been absolutely critical to the to the survival of hotels during this period and and their future viability, really. So we'd like to see that being being um, extended, uh, hopefully in the budget and with the announcement on the on the on the guidelines on the twenty second of October as well. Mm. We'd like to see that being extended into next year. Um, also, there's a, a local rates uh, authority waiver. There at the moment as well, which we'd like to be see being extended into next year, and uh, also the VAT rate, which was reduced uh, to nine percent, and that's confirmed until next year. But again, we'd like to see certainty on that, really, because it's it's critical for you know for travel agents and for hotels who are booking uh, tour operators into the future that they have certainty on that. So we'd like to see that being extended to twenty twenty five as well. And Fergal, what about um, <coughs> employment now in in the sector? Because I know that there were issues when with the PUP payments that staff didn't want to come back and um, hoteliers were finding it very hard to staff their business. Is that still an issue now or are you finding it um, easier now to get people to work for you? Um, it's it's still it's still an issue certainly you know that's that's being reported back to us from from um, from hoteliers across the across the city and and, and county mm. and it's, I think it's a, it's a nationwide issue and I think a lot of factors probably came together Fiona where um, you know you had yes you had the pop but also you had uh, obviously people returning maybe to their home home countries and not and not coming back you had restrictions on international travel which are still still in place in in, in some cases as well and mm. and um, a tightening up on visas and all that kind of stuff as well so. There were lots of factors that really came together and I, I think, you know, being honest about it, that probably people would see maybe more um, job security, you know, when they see something like what happened to the hospitality sector over the past 18 months, yeah. that maybe they've looked at different sectors and, and, and thought maybe there's more security there. So it's really, you know, it's it's up to us to try and get the message out there that there are fantastic opportunities. This is a great industry to work in. Um, there are, you know, brilliant um, pathways for future progression within the industry to, to move um, from whatever level people are at or or, or that they enter at mm. to to move through to to supervisory and management positions as well. Because I think there's a perception out there that you know, as you said, that the hours can be long, they can be unsociable, that the payment when you come into to the sector isn't great. Um, so, like, how can we encourage more people to 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 work in, in hotels and guest houses and and B and Bs and you know, like, how do we encourage more people? I know you're saying there that there's great progressions, but you know, when you're like 20 year old, like say for the example, the student here now who are going to the food banks and they're looking for a part-time job like how would you encourage people to come and work for the sector 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's the challenge really for us to, is, to, is to get that message out there, that, that there are opportunities there, that there's, there's lots of employment available. Um, and also that there are, you know, there, there are uh, career or there is career progression as well within the industry. Mm. And there are fantastic, you know, training and development opportunities with, within that as well. So it's, it's going to be a, a team effort really. And it's up to the, to the industry itself to get that message out there. You know, I would argue as well that really, and I, I saw somebody making this point recently, and I would, I would wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly agree with it, is that we need to get the message out that there are careers in this in this industry. It's not just a short term uh, job for, for a student, for example. Yeah. There, there are opportunities there for that type of work as well, because obviously hotels may be busier at certain times of the year, which, which could suit that. But also there are real career opportunities there. So it's really getting into to, to second level education as well and, and getting that message out to students that there are real opportunities for them there. Um, and I think the, 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 the perception is still out there, Fiona, and it's, and it's really up to us to try and get the message that a lot of the, this kind of negative um, uh, perceptions that, that are out there around the industry have changed. And, and that was happening uh, pre-COVID and has been happening over a lot of years. And um, there is, you know, it's, it's a very professional um, uh, sector now and it's, it's properly run. Um, so, and it's, it's, it's extremely flexible, actually. There are, there are lots, of, um, lots of things about it that actually could work for people. So, you know, I, I, I think there are, there are lots of positives there that we've got to get out um, and, and get that message out to people. I'm sure you guys will be waiting with bated breath now for the announcement next week. Thank you very much for joining me on the Opinion Line this morning. That's Fergal Hart of the Irish Hotels Federation here in Cork. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96 FM. Just in relation to the conversation I was having with Councillor Mary Linehan Foley about East Cork being forgotten, Eileen has been in touch to say East Cork is completely forgotten about. Just take one look at the condition of Castle Martyr Village. No community facilities. We can't even get out of our homes with queues of traffic and walking the footpaths is taking your life in your hands with speed. And um, another caller has been in touch with regards to students at UCC not working and she says that we mustn't forget the many young people in our city who are not third level students they are working since leaving school and don't have the luxury of summers off or even moving out of home and no complaining from them. Thank you very much for that. Keep your comments coming in to us 1850-715-996-083-396-9696. Now, I was just looking there. There's a really, really interesting um, exhibition opening tonight in um, St. Peter's in Cork on North Main Street and it runs until Tuesday the 19th of October. It's a multi-vision exhibition and joining me now to talk about it is visual artist, dancer and choreographer Andrea Williams. Good morning, Andrea. Hi, Fiona. Good morning. Tell me a little bit about this um, ex- exhibition. It's called Undefined. What can people expect when they go yes. to see it? Um, they can expect a bit of everything that I love. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> uh, they will see, uh, obviously, pictures and then um, they will have a video, a small uh, film that we made. Um, I also made some traditional costumes which will, which will be on display and I will have spoken word as well by my great friend Rafael Olimpio um, and probably a bit of dancing as well. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> everything just... that I love, I just I just throw it into one pot. <laughs> so it's like a celebration of your culture, is that right? Yes, exactly. So uh, the whole idea came from uh, one character we have in my country. It's called Mandinga. And um, so just to give you a bit of background, my country was a colony, a Portuguese colony. Mm-hmm. And um, because of our location, um, we became a slave port. Uh, so my country is a melting pot of cultures, like people, enslaved people that were brought from Africa, plus people from all over Europe. So um, you'll have people in my country with African names, but then you'll have people with, let's say their name is, uh, like my name, Andrea Williams. So you have <laughs> someone that it's called Spencer or someone that it's called, I don't know, Oliveira. So it's, it's, it's a huge, huge melting pot. Um, and your country, and just whole- for people who don't know, it's Cape Verde. Cape Verde, yeah. So it's on the west coast of Africa, and it's like an island country. Um, we we gained independence in seventy five, mm. and the whole thing about being a melting pot, it's it's great in a way, but in another way, the Cape Verdean people were left with a sense of lost identity, because uh, everything that was African was lost because it was prohibited. It was like we couldn't uh, so let's say a good example i can give you is saying like i know the history mm. of my father but my father doesn't know the history of his father because he was lost wow. so it plays uh, around this idea of identity and um how we overcome that loss by using art to create a new identity with the many identities that were um, that were brought into the country, so um, we we had like I think uh, it was like probably a decade which the country went through a lot of uh, identity issues, mm. and it took like people like musicians, uh, poets, right? Oh, have we lost Andrea? There's dancers. Oh, no, she's there. <laughs> so, um, yeah, the, 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 the exhibition is exactly that. And Andrea, how did you come from Cape Verde to Cork? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I actually came from Portugal to Cork. So I was in um, Cape um When I was 17, I moved to Portugal. So I'm actually a qualified lawyer, even though I never... Uh, <laughs> did anything with the degree uh, I chose to, to become an artist full time well meantime. I have a degree in archaeology uh, so, so I, do. <laughs> <laughs> I know all of my friends all of my artist friends we all like I have people that were I don't know they were studying to become doctors and now they are musicians <laughs> I think we all like we tried we cannot say that we didn't try we did but the call the call to be an artist was like stronger than anything so yeah um okay so went back why i'm in cork so i was in portugal studying to be a lawyer and then i got married to a portuguese guy tiago i think he's listening love you (laughs) Uh, (laughs) um and then we he got a job uh here in cork and then we came and we were meant to be like oh yeah we'll go we'll stay just a couple of months and then we'll leave. We've been here for almost 12 years. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And do you like Cork? Oh, I love Cork. And the 
what I love the most about Cork was the fact that for many years, like I've always had this artistic spirit, mm. but you know, the pressure of the family, you have to get a real job, you have to do this, you have to get a degree. And when I moved to Cork, I actually, it, it, it was, I think it was kind of like a spiritual awakening. Like I felt I could be me here without any pressure, without any judgment. So mm. yeah, I love, I love Cork because and of that. You teach <laughs> dancing here. What do you think of our dancing skills here? <laughs> It's way, way better. Like, so, like you obviously you have your own dance, the Irish dance. Yeah. But um, I remember when I start the classes at first, most of my my dancers or my my students they are I- Irish girls, and I remember at first everyone was like super shy because there's lots of you know hips movement and sexy moves. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but now I think I think. I think it's 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 amazing because you guys are beautiful and sexy and I'm like you know I, I try to encourage that you know just just let it flow like just just be yourself you know I'm sure there are a so, lot of our listeners now this morning who are loving you right now <laughs> <laughs> I hope so well I'm hoping to go back because I had to stop the classes because of COVID I tried online but it's not the same thing the energy is is different yeah. but I'm hoping to start them again in November so uh, and it's in the city, so fantastic. And if anybody, yeah, if anybody does want to go to any of your dance classes, how can they find you? Um, they can. I'll, I'll usually post anything, uh, everything on my social media, so they can just find me on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter. Okay. And usually the information is there. Yeah. And Andrea, um, you know, I know you love Cork, but like we're looking out the window today and it's rotten outside. <laughs> Would you ever be tempted to move back to Cape Verde or even Portugal? <laughs> um, yeah, I'd say what I would love to do, I would love to be in between both, mm. like both my country and Ireland. Like if I could get the, the option of, you know, spending a few months back home, getting the sun and the... <laughs> uh, but, I don't know. There's just something mystical about Ireland that I love. I I love mysticism, and I think Ireland has this mystical energy that I love. And it's 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 more of a creative energy as well. Mm. So I'd say I'll I'll be spending a lot of time in Ireland. And do you get to go home much? Then do you go back to your own country much? Yes, I was there before COVID, so I'm hoping uh, to go back probably in the end of the year or next year. Fantastic. And you've got family over there, I'm assuming. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Yeah. Loads. (laughs) (laughs) So it must be nice to get back and and see them. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and just to see the country in general, like my so the country has like 10 islands and every island is different from each other, like uh, landscape or even like the people. uh, So it's every time I go back, it's very inspiring because I end up like you walk on the street and there's music everywhere. It's mm. it's like a really natural thing to have music, to have people playing. So I, I love that. Um, and it, it's like going there to recharge a bit of the battery and obviously see my family. And this exhibition that you have in St. Peter's Cork, it opens tonight and it runs until Tuesday the 19th of October. Have you had um, yeah. many exhibitions here in Cork or is this your first one? No, this is my actual first one, so I'm a bit panicking. (laughs) (laughs) 
I I've done like loads of shows, dance shows, and other stuff like uh, short movies, theater. But like putting myself out there as a visual artist with an, an exhibition, this is the first time. So I'm 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 very curious to see what people will think. <laughs> and it's um, you said there at the start you were working with a photographer and a filmmaker for this as well. Yes, yes. So I'm working um, with uh, João Perdigão. He's a Portuguese um, photographer, filmmaker, music producer. And yeah, he does lots of things. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, also with a Killarney-based photographer, Tim uh, Benningham. Okay. And can people just walk in or do they need to buy tickets or what way does that work? Um, it, they, it, it's a free, um, it's a free exhibition, so they can just walk in. So I think the gallery is open from, I'd say half nine to five every day. Yeah. But today it's because it's the exhibition, it actually starts at seven. Okay. Brilliant. Andrea, thank you so much for joining us and best of luck with the exhibition. And if anybody is in town and looking for something to do, you can pop into St. Peter's on North Main Street and um, it's open until the 19th of October. That's me for today. Thank you very much to Fergal Barry, Katie O'Keefe and Wayne Hilton for helping me out. Enjoy your day, everyone. PJ will be back tomorrow. Take care. No. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie The number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time.